Hello and welcome to Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen. I'm Emily Glenn. And I'm Shauna Cook. Before we get into this episode, we have a big ask this week. We'd be forever grateful if you could subscribe, rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It's not just something you hear podcasters say, it really helps us spread the word about Fair Game. And if this is your first episode of Fair Game, you'll find the full archive of episodes too on iTunes, Android, Stitcher and Spotify. Sharing episode links on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram really helps us spread the word too. So if you think they'll like it, pass this episode on to friends, family and your clubmates. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram too, we're at FairGameCast. South African middle distance runner Caster Semenier is a world record holder and Olympic gold medalist. She competes at distances from 800 metres to 5,000 metres. She stormed to victory in the 2012 and 2016 Olympic Games to take gold in the 800 metres. Her performances in the 800 metres and 1500 metres were not out of the blue. Caster first burst into world athletics in 2009 when she broke four separate national age records in the 800 metres when she won the African Junior Championships in Mauritius. Semenye's career is a long list of highlights from sweeping the medals table at the Commonwealth Games to setting records at the World Championships and stellar performances at the Olympics too. Semenye comes from a rural village in South Africa. She's a black African woman. She's born, raised and now identifies as a woman. And she's openly gay. To say she is a trailblazer would be putting it lightly. But back in 2009, after she set her personal best of 155.46 in the 800 metres at the Worlds, it's reported that Semenya underwent a gender verification procedure. And that is where our story starts today. Caster's performance in these events were so dominant that the rumours started that she must be a man competing in the women's fields. The IAAF want to protect women's sport and ensure fairness for female athletes. And they've been called on to do so by athletes like Paula Radcliffe, Martina Navratilova and Lindsay Sharp. One of Castor's competitors, the American athlete Shannon Robry, said, quote, I think it challenges and threatens the integrity of women's sports to have intersex athletes competing against genetically genetic women. Women have fought for far too long to even have the right to compete, and now it's being challenged by intersex and trans athletes, and I don't think that's right. End quote. And so to try and formally decide what are the criteria for competing in the men's and women's categories, the athletics governing body have ultimately tried to define what a female athlete is, what is the criteria, and what are the ways we, ways we measure and decide upon the question, what is woman and what is other? Here to help us understand what's going on in athletics and what this means for the future of women's sport is the one and only Sinead O'Carroll. Sinead, thanks for joining us today. One and only, I've never got that before, thank you very much. I usually get you, Susie's little sister, so that's nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just you're the one and only. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Well, sure, we'll get stuck in. Sinead, the ruling that the Court of Arbitration of Sport, also known as CAS, made last week. Tell us a bit about what that ruling was about. Yeah, so the panel found that the DSD regulations, I don't know how deep we want to get about, so um, athletes with differences in sexual development, so kind of the headline <coughs> woman in that is Castor mm-hmm. Semenya, but there are other athletes as well. Um, the IAAF had tried to regulate um, their, I guess, appearances in athletics. Um, they felt that there was a... Uh, albeit natural advantage they felt it was a natural but unfair advantage um, conferred on these women Uh, they wanted CAS to rule in their favour that they would be allowed to bring regulations in to 
um, ensure that the testosterone levels of those women would have to be regulated down um, to a certain level. We'll get into the the numbers and all that later. But um, I think it came as a surprise to most people who had been watching um, the the history of of the uh, legal fight I guess that was happening that CAS actually ruled with the IWAF um, now they did say that they felt the regulations that the IWAF were trying to bring in were discriminatory um, but on the basis of the evidence submitted by both parties that the discrimination was actually necessary it was reasonable and it was proportionate um, to ensure that women's sport is protected um, I guess that because there, there exists a category of women's sport there has to be some separation of what fits into that category so they said because there is I guess initially discrimination in terms of separating men and women then that this is also proportionate and fair um so that's kind of where we started this conversation from you um you touched on it there a minute ago when the cath released their their ruling last week the language they used was really patronizing and really paternalistic in the ruling um and they've said you've just mentioned it there uh such discrimination is necessary reasonable and proportionate to achieve the IAS aim of protecting women's sport um, and its integrity. Mm. That's great. Uh, but my initial question, Sinead, is protecting implies that there's a threat. Yeah. So what do they think that the threat is from? Well, I think that's um, <laughs> when like, when you're in a management position, I think one of the things that you're always kind of trying to question if you're changing something or if you're, um, you know, you, f- you feel like you have to have a conversation with someone, your starting point is what is the problem here? So... The starting point for the IWAF was we have a problem here and their problem manifested itself in Castor Semenye and unknown athletes who they feel have this natural advantage over other women. Um, I think there's probably a lot you can read into where they came to that. I think a lot of people have brought up racial stuff. A lot of people have brought up the idea of the perfect champion. And I think we have seen that across a lot of sports in, in my particularly in my particular sport of choice, figure skating. I don't figure skate, but it's the one I enjoy watching the most. This has come up again and again, the, the ideal champion. Um, so I think there's a lot of that going on in terms of where the initial problem comes from with the IWF. But last week when I when you initially hear this, and I think it was really, really difficult for any party to hear the ruling and not have an emotional reaction, mm-hmm. to not have, no matter which way you fell on it, um, it's really emotive. There's so many, it, it harks back to so many different things. Like, you know, we all know that athletes used to be gender tested by like literally looking to see what gender they were. Yeah. And um, there, there was so much stuff going on to the point that it was hard to take a breath. It was hard to even distill down what cast were giving us, what cast were saying. Um, and I think that goes for the IAAF as well. Like I think, some of their and I do think that there is some bad faith on their part um but even for them it was more a win rather than actually what they say they're doing which is protecting sport because again what what you're saying who are they protecting it from Mm. and um I think there is an awful lot of conflation going on as well I think what they're saying when they're saying they're protecting it is that they are looking at issues that are coming in terms of the transgender um debate and I think that is also then complicated even further by what is happening in the UK in terms of the legislation there around around trans people because 
that has all been conflated. All three things yeah. have been conflated for conflated for the last probably year. The Castor Semenya case, um, transgender athletes, and then the kind of turf movement in the UK. Yeah, no, absolutely. And those are definitely things that we're going to touch on later. Um, because as you say, the cast ruling itself uh, wasn't unanimous. And it was fairly blistering in some of its criticisms of the impact that the IAAF's um, proposed legis- or proposed policies would have. Yeah, and it, it, one of the um, best people that I've heard and read on this and, and has actually helped me kind of, you know, come at it with a bit more of a um, even, uh, come at it a bit more of an even keel as Ross Tucker. So he was actually on um, Castor Semenya's uh, legal team for this. But actually when you hear him talk or you read any of his articles, you, he actually sounds like he's, on the opposite side, <laughs> which is funny because he's he's um, he talks so much about the evidence in the case and he talks so much about um, what can be done in the science of it and what should be done in the legalities of it, that it actually he agrees in 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 pretty real terms, he agrees with the concept of the idea that there is a problem. So he agrees that there with the IAAF that yeah, conceptually, there can be an issue if there are women who have an advantage that could be deemed unfair. What he has an issue with is that no one has been able to give the evidence to him of what unfair is. Um, and he actually takes a lot of issue with some of the points, I think, that I would have naturally gone to, and I think you would as well, Emily, in terms of, you know, I did think that there was bad faith on the IAAF and it was targeted against Castor Semeni. He doesn't think so, which I think is interesting. Um, I do think that there are racial elements. He doesn't think so, but I'd say his life is also complicated by the fact that he's a South African white male, so probably doesn't see some of the perspectives that mm. other people would see on that. Um I think that uh, he also weighs his opinions so heavily on the evidence um, to the detriment of some of that stuff. But So I think it's interesting that we can have these conversations and bring in all of that, um, but still stay quite even-keeled about it and also try and see the perspective of female athletes on the track who do feel that, there is an unfairness in the natural advantages of 46 uh, XY athletes. 46 XY athletes. Because that's a thing, actually. I was reading today that that's one of the, um, that's one of the things that was left out of an awful lot of the coverage. That this is a ruling, and we'll get on to the nitty gritty of the mm. ruling and the kind of into the weeds of it. Um, and I've just learned to pronounce animals. <laughs> animals. Animals <laughs> educated me. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, we'll get into that later, but the, um, the ruling does only apply to 46 XY athletes. Yes. Um, so it is not uh, spread across the um, the gambit of all female athletes. Oh. It is only... And I have no idea how they're going to find these 46 XY athletes. That's another thing. Like, how are we testing? Because do you know your chromosome? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> yeah, because I wouldn't know mine either, no. would you? No. no. Nor would I know inherently my, le- my, my levels of testosterone. No. And one of the things, and I think this is what people... Um, presume and they're actually incorrect when they presume it is that you can kind of tell by the look of someone and this again goes back into some stuff that Ross Tucker and the science people won't mm. bring up like you know what does a woman look like like we all know that a woman doesn't look like any one thing yeah but um I think there's a presumption that you'll see a certain muscle build up you'll see a certain muscle mass you'll see certain facial um 
I don't know, markers. Um, and that's not the case with 46XY athletes. And it's not the case with all DSD athletes as well. You, you will see women who are XX with mm. something that you might think is XY in mm. you. So um, I, I genuinely don't know, and, and Cass aren't sure either, how they're going to test everyone on this. We're going to do a load in the show notes about um, breaking down the uh, kind of any of the acronyms we use as well. So uh, just for listeners who don't know, XX uh, is, I suppose, a typical woman yep. um, and XY is a typical man. So um, Castrosmenia has been uh, diagnosed as an XXY woman. Mm-hmm. So she has the chromosome of a uh, typically male chromosome, but she is a woman. Um, and we will put in some definitions that we're using as well. Yeah, and um, so people will see, um, I think some of the arguments um, that I had to kind of get into the weeds a bit on Twitter, people will say like, well, she's a biological man because she has um, the XY chromosomes and she has testes and she has a high level of testosterone. Um, but to dispel any of that, she is actually, she is legally a woman. She is a woman. Um, th- it, there's a difference between having um, testosterone and testes as a man and what Castor Semenya has. So while DSD athletes will have high levels of testosterone, they'll have different levels of how they can use that testosterone. Mm -hmm. And it's only when testosterone is useful that it can become beneficial. So these are all the complexities of a ruling like this um, that, okay, I might have a high level of testosterone, but I actually have no sensitivity to it. So the rest of my body, which is female, is not breaking it down in the same way that a man breaks it down. So if men and women will generally have a 10 to 12% difference in athletic performance, um, we don't know what a DSD athlete will have because the DSD athletes are so different in terms of what um, they, what we know that they, they can do in terms of how testosterone impacts them and how that benefits them and how they get an advantage from that. Um, and I guess that's my main issue with that is that we don't know any of this stuff. And if we haven't got the evidence and the evidence that we do have is really bad, how are we making these regulations and how can you say that these regulations weren't being brought in in bad faith to get someone like Castor Semenya out because you don't like her? <laughs> this is why I just keep going back to, like I hear Ross Tucker and I'm on board with his rationalization of a lot of it. I hear the IAAF and they're wanting to protect women's sport. And, you know, we're at this table and we're like, yeah, hell yeah, we want to protect women's sport. Like that's the whole point of this. And, Fair game. And always like, yeah. you know, most of the time on Twitter. Um, but it just this isn't sitting right like this no i can't i can never come back to thinking that there aren't other elements and and again it's i don't think it's all racial i don't think it's all bad faith i don't Mm. think i think there's a lot of things and i think there was a lot of pressure put on Mm. um from athletes themselves athletes don't not they do not like caster smini her competitors don't like her but do you not think like i I find it really hard to believe as an ex-athlete myself that like when you're competing you want to win and you want to compete against the best I would much prefer as an athlete to finish second third fourth and now I finished well, behind the best what if everyone around you is telling you that it's an unfair but I think advantage. it's it's integrity you know I yeah. think it's it's something intrinsic to you and I think you know that like it just doesn't make sense like you you if you win you win because you're the best if you finish second it's because you're second best you know and I just think that any athlete that has those bad feelings it's it just takes away from sport I think yeah I think that they have like they're 
they're in this bubble. So like yeah. put yourself in that bubble where everyone, including like the absolute hierarchy of your organization mm-hmm. are saying you kind of are the best though because that woman isn't really a woman and she shouldn't be here and we're going to do yeah. our best mm-hmm. to put her out so you you're caught in that bubble you're you might mm-hmm. go on to that side it's you know? the uh lindsay sharp twitter bio of <laughs> olympic, olympic winner. winner what she really means by that is well and, know, and i when think you take the three dominant women out of the yeah. field she would have had a bronze and I think when you when you hear that, the, yeah, a, she Olympic six, winner, though. as if that's a thing. I'm yeah. like, dude, this is why we get the name Snowflake. Like, come on, yeah. that is not a thing. Um, I think one of the, I think this is why it's really hard not to talk about the racial element of this. Um, because most of my examples of champions, not sporting yeah. organizations, not wanting the champions, a lot of them are black women. Mm-hmm. Serena Williams, how long did it take her? Oh God, yeah. we're going to get to Serena. Like we are. Yeah. And, it, and it took her longer than Venus because Venus has more attributes that were acceptable to tennis than Serena does. Mm. Um, in figure skating, Surya Bonnelly. Mm. Um, now, there was a lot of stuff that, that wasn't completely uh, racial and this is why it always becomes complex. There was a lot of stuff that Surya Bonnelly um, put down to racial discrimination, which wasn't. There was a lot of stuff that was racial discrimination there but she was never a champion she was figure skating never wanted her to be a champion it's know. even i think in athletics uh like we're we're going to talk in a minute about the um why this ruling applies to only these four mm. three or four events but the IAAF are really really happy for uh black african women to dominate in longer distance events because they typically look mm-hmm. Um, much more feminine so there's this kind of to, racial element to the point that some of them are absolutely ridiculous like the 10,000 meters in Rio with like yeah they're skeletal like uh, or else they're doped know. to their mind <laughs> Like Ethiopia, who wasn't doing one bit of testing before Rio, and then your one went out and like lapped everyone in Rio. <laughs> Didn't break a sweat. Uh, did you see everyone's that? totally bored. And then afterwards, she said, "Jesus is my training," and we're like, "Yeah, love, Grant." Of course it is. We don't know the number of how many people are intersex. On the upper level of the UN's estimate of how many people have this condition, there are thought to be as many intersex people in the world as have red hair. So there are a lot. And intersex is a condition that both men and women experience. But why are the IAAF just looking at women? Yeah, and I guess this is going back to, like, there has to be a binary uh, line between what's a man and what's a woman for female sport to exist because otherwise, you know, we wouldn't get a look in and that's Mm -hmm. not a disservice to any of the brilliant Mm. athletes that we follow every day. You know, that's just um, biology, as Twitter would say. Um... I think the the redheaded thing was really annoying because it was used for more of this kind of scaremongering and conflation of, of various things um, to be like, you know, there's more sport, out there it's going to be totally taken over. Mm-hmm. And it's it's quite reductive. Um, like, obviously, testosterone is a huge marker. So if you have a natural uh, level of testosterone that's a lot higher than other women, you are going to have a massive advantage. And obviously, you need other things as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very reductive to say like every single intersex person is going to mm. overcome whatever else is in their life. Absolutely love sport and go and take that Nike sponsorship away from yeah. you. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I think that like there's a problem with athletics even being just too reductive of itself. Yeah. Like these athletes, you know, you're not going to go to every single village uh in africa to try and find intersex athletes to race for your country um 
the 99% to 1%, like they say, 1% of people will have the, these high levels of testosterone. These regulations, the reason that they're the 400, the 800, the, the 1500 and the mile, so the 1500 was never in there. So the evidence that they brought to CAS was we have found evidence in the 400 meters, the 400 meter hurdles and the 800 meters. We have that evidence and here it is so we can we can make regulations on, on those races. Um, they then added the 1500 um again said it wasn't targeted at caster even though they are mm-hmm. they are caster's races they said you know most people who run the 800 also run the 1500 so it would be ridiculous to regulate the 800 and not the 1500 because you'd have someone being able to race saturday and not race tuesday or whatever um but equally then you think well if this was all you found your evidence in then why aren't these athletes in all the other why yeah. why haven't they appeared in other because the evidence that they actually supplied to CAS shows is uh is, fl- is flawed oh completely but it, flawed yeah. but it also shows the evidence that they have presented shows uh a really strong um bias for uh women who have these conditions uh competing in pole vaulting and hammer, hammer throw. Yeah. yeah and they have they've ignored that because obviously caster doesn't compete in those sports but the thing about the kind of the testing this category for women only that really gets me is that if you are a man who has a national uh, a naturally occurring higher level of testosterone that's deemed to be fine mm. because you're not doping yep. but if you are a woman who has the same naturally higher level of testosterone um that is the start of the issue with CAS or with the IAAF that is where they want you to to dope yeah, Basically, well, yeah. I think because that brings in, that I think, the whole other area of asking athletes to interfere with their natural occurring <laughs> bodies is, is a whole other field I presume we'll get to. But I think on the on the issue of men and women's, the men's category is seen as an open category. So that's what the IAAF will say. It's not it's not a discriminated or protected class. So like female athletes are in inverted commas yeah. protected class, whereas the men aren't. So that would be oh. the IAAF's argument is that, well, you're the protected class. And if you want that status, then we have to protect you. Um, the men, wow. it's open season. So that's why it's like fair game. If you have whatever you have, like go reap the rewards, men. <laughs> Emily, <laughs> Emily, you were saying there that the, the evidence they're basing these kind of findings on or rulings on is flawed why where is that evidence coming from so it's i suppose the evidence has also changed yeah. so there uh Sinead, jump in here and correct me if i yeah. if i misspeak but the evidence that they presented to their initial ruling back in 2011 has changed significantly from yeah, the evidence so now. we so have to talk about the duty chand case a bit. Yeah. So the initial CAS initially ruled on uh, the duty chand, where the regulations were different. Mm-hmm. So they were the I think probably I think you're right the very first iteration of yeah. any of the regulations after um, Caster Semenya and the question marks over duty chand and other people came up after the 2009 World Championships. Um, CAS looked at them and said, um, "Okay, you have." Um, a concept so you have a theory that there is unfair advantage to certain cohort of women um but you've absolutely no evidence of that advantage what that advantage is how big an advantage is and they said the numbers matter so like come back to us with numbers um so eventually they did um go back with numbers and the numbers that they had were these numbers mm-hmm. um so i think from studies in 2011 and 2013 maybe mm. um since then people have 
looked at those and and again to like full disclosure a couple of the people who have looked at the evidence were ended up on Castor Smenny's team um, this time around but they said that the evidence was so flawed that they actually asked it for it to be retracted now that's a big deal in academics like you don't ask for another scientist's work to be completely retracted like you're talking about like uh you know, the MMR autism stuff, like that's how like yeah. Yeah. big a deal it would have to be to ac- actually ask for something to be retracted. But they found like up to between 17% and 32% of the data that they had used to be flawed. Um, mm. A lot of it to the point that like it was, I think the, the word used, like it was like completely, not false, but like kind of ghost data, like yeah. data that just shouldn't be relied upon. And I think that's mm-hmm. why most people thought that Cass would rule against the IAAF because the idea that they would allow for evidence that had been so questioned to be the basis of this ruling when previously they had Mm -hmm. said you need evidence so it seems like they have flipped now that they've said okay the evidence isn't great but your concept of trying to protect women's sport and that's what they have said in their in their summary in their introduction they said like we know you're being discriminatory but it's absolutely necessary the other thing that they i think people have a, a real problem with when it comes to the data and again jump in if i'm if i'm if i misspeak but they it feels like there's a huge um bias in the data because they have had a theory and then they went out to look for data to support their theory their so they have yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. they've they've targeted specifically the level of testosterone Mm -hmm. and they haven't looked at things like so i could have a really naturally occurring higher high level of testosterone but if i don't have the right receptors to use that testosterone it isn't an inherent performance advantage um but they haven't looked at that uh so it feels very much like the evidence that they've presented is targeted to support their case against this one person or these really small cohort of athletes um and I think people have a real problem with that. And mm-hmm. also because the IAAF have, and governing bodies in general, have a, a kind of a, a track record, as it were, of policing gender in sport. So, I mean, back in the day, they had things like the Certificate of Femininity. Um, <laughs> we, and you've also touched on it there where, I mean, in 2009, Castor's first gender ver- verification test was actually a physical examination. Yeah. Um, the results of which were leaked. Um, and it was at that examination back when she was only 19 that they discovered or that she discovered that she actually had this intersex condition yeah um so she didn't know it beforehand no she was brought up a girl and yeah uh, grew into a woman and and was a great athlete and none yeah. of that has changed no you know that's, that's all still true <laughs> I, I think it's it's crazy to think that as a, a governing body they have an obligation to protect athletes and that in itself you know someone going through a physical examination having aspects of their private life just you know put on the table for everybody to dissect and have an opinion about like has has anyone ever stopped to consider the psychological impact that it has on this athlete you know and I think that's actually uh, so the the CAS ruling does talk about the impact of um taking a hormone suppressant Mm -hmm. or uh yeah or kind of complying with the regulations but they haven't touched on that I, th- I think that's why everybody was in like absolute awe of Castor at mm. her uh recent victory in the Doha Diamond round yeah that um, she can just keep 
keep going. She just completely pushed it out there. It was the same week that all yeah. this ruling came out and her her speech afterwards was just... Was if you weren't crying when you were watching that, I'd, yeah. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I think just to go back to the studies, the, the study is the Berman and Garnier paper, if anyone wants to look it up. So what, and this is what the IAAF have um, relied on. And so they took female athletes and related their performance um, as to their T levels so that's so they looked at all their testosterone levels but as you said nothing else mm-hmm. um, and th- they were already getting a group of elite athletes so it wasn't you know like they, yeah. they were testing it's a really narrow pool of it, testers yeah exactly so um, like if you test you know the eight people who are going to run the 100 meter final like the, you're not testing enough people to yeah. know what exactly is going mm-hmm. on um, with each of them the Royal Medical Association have come out and said doctors should not be complicit in upholding these regulations because what they'd have to use is medicine for reasons that it is not made for. Mm-hmm. So that's what they say, off-label use. So it's uh, mostly, probably what they'd be using is dosages of the contraceptive pill to reduce testosterone. Like, I don't know if you've ever been on the pill, but like most of us will know the difference in our bodies when we're on it and when we're off it. So imagine that in a concentrated dose for reasons that it was not made for. So mm-hmm. you're using it not for contraceptive purposes or not for other any other purpose that the, the pill is uh, prescribed for um, or whatever other ways that they come up with to reduce testosterone. That's not a thing that doctors can ethically stand mm-hmm. over. It's not a thing yeah. that they can actually safely stand over um, at the moment or they don't know its efficacy either like do you Sinead you've done a deep dive on this um do you know why in this iteration of the ruling the rules are now that she I say she but actually the rule is that they mm. um the limit that they can have is five nanomoles not 10 and in 2000 the 2011 ruling it was 10 animals so they've just halved it yeah so what have they, they given any reason for why so what they say is um 99 of women will be between 0. Point something and 2.7 mm-hmm. so the, the the five is an like upper limit upper, anyway upper limit anyway is what they say so it'll capture the, yeah. that one percent now i haven't done a deep enough dive to see what percentage of that one percent land in that five to ten Mm -hmm. and animals um i am not sure but um what they say is the the lowest percent the lower percentile of men so the men with less testosterone will always still be above the women with the higher levels um outside of the intersex athletes and i think we're not actually meant to say intersex anymore so i think that's part of yeah i was reading a study about what like the um the language around uh dsd and that they have kind of hit upon DSD being the best rather okay. than um, androgynism mm-hmm. or um, any of the other previous words that were used. But I, I guess that's always the fun part of trying to learn about these <laughs> things while you're like, oh, I'm saying the wrong thing again. Um, and have the IAAF given any indication in their rulings about at what level they should start policing these uh, these levels? Because I, I know when Castor Semeni was first examined, she was 19. And I think in the, in the, in the IAAF regulations now, it says this... 
benefit of higher testosterone levels you get kicks in after puberty. Yeah. So, uh, like, at what level are we going to start pleasing women's well, this is, hormones levels? Yeah, like, I think this is the problem with um, any of these ill-thought-out, and, and this is where I really land with Ross Tucker on all of this. Like, if they're ill-thought-out and based on bad evidence or um, incomplete evidence, uh, um, or, and this is what I think, if there's any element of bad faith in them, if you bring in something for the wrong reasons... Yeah. just going to go terribly wrong <laughs> like um it's kind of like the irish water like in my other world of politics like you bring in something for the wrong reasons and like they brought in irish water to raise some revenue and look what happened to it you know yeah. bring it in for the wrong reasons and it'll all go to shit on you so like can you imagine in american colleges mm-hmm. you imagine american high schools when you have parents who are like dying to get their kids that scholarship that they need to go to whatever ivy league school that they want to go to and they're like their biggest competitor is down the road and she looks a bit mm, like she's a butch woman yeah like like, do you know think back to all the sports that we would have played and like i'm a small i'm a small female like i have played camogie against people who are incredibly different looking to me on both smaller and bigger and uh different muscle types different um abilities and and you use that because that's part of sport you use all of that but if you feel it is an unfair natural advantage does someone then question you like if there is a scholarship at play will yeah. someone say mm, do you know what i think her testosterone levels should be checked do you know what i should think we should check if she has do- two x yeah. chromosomes or not so like where do these regulations become real world stuff um you know the idea here is that castor semenia is has a unfair natural advantage and therefore wins medals, gets sponsorship, um, has uh, the ability to be an elite athlete for a decade. Um, but I, I think this could possibly affect the most vulnerable group within mm. sport, which is young female athletes, mm. teenagers that you know are trying to figure things out in life and compete at a high level. And I just think that it's so important to take a step back and yeah. to really consider that. Well, and it's kind of funny because it's the absolute opposite of what the IAAF have mm-hmm. done. Like Cass have said, well, actually, you should take a step back in the 1500 meter ruling because you actually don't have evidence on that. But they just like ask them nicely. So like they've already said, yeah, no, we're definitely still doing it for the 1500 meters. They've also, Cass has allowed them to use it as a living document. So the minute Castor Semenya yeah. changes uh, event, like that document is going to become live again and it'll be added in the minute somebody else comes along Mm -hmm. who looks a bit different or looks i don't even want to say looks a bit different looks doesn't fit the norm yeah it doesn't fit the narrative or not even the norm fit the narrative of what that particular sporting organization wants um that these kind of rulings can come into question and then you are doing harm and if you're doing harm you are already negating the whole purpose of sport. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the purpose of sport isn't actually for medals to be given out. And like, in some ways it is. Like, I don't want to sound like, you know, I want to give every kid no. in, like a medal in school or whatever. But it's inclusion. It, there's a lot of inclusion, but there's also just a lot of joy in it. Yeah. So if you're, it's kind of like the idea of I'm bouncing around sports here, but, you know, people saying that Liverpool's, uh, year will be a total failure if they don't win a trophy i'm like have you watched liverpool this year like that's not a failure like that that's that's not what failure looks like um and it's completely missing the point of sport i think if you focus too much on what people will 
physically get in terms of of medals and money out of it yeah um i think as well it's important to note that not every female athlete that potentially has to go through or has gone through what caster has gone through is a, will or will be as strong as her no and be able to handle it you know with that in composure. the same way that some and people aren't good champions they'll they'll win once and, and mm. not be able to handle the pressure or the, yeah. you know um but how are they i mean bringing it back to the science for a minute like how are they actually going to implement this ruling so the world medical association have come out and said that they're not mm. they're encouraging their doctors not to um support this ruling even a bit further they've said like it's not ethical to the, do so on ethical by uh, on ethical grounds it's that's an incredibly strong yeah. ruling mm-hmm. um and it's an incredibly strong like reprimand to the iwf um but it, it, now the iwf won't care that much because that means the athletes are not competing yes. at all yeah <laughs> so i suppose that's there's there's two things to it then one is how do they if we were sitting here with a a group of women uh, elite female athletes who are going to go out and run the 800 meter now how would we test them do we test everyone in the field is that what they're i proposing? would say if they test everyone in the field and i'm not a legal expert i'd say if they test everyone in the field you will have legal disruptions mm-hmm. all the time i think that there would be a lot of people who would not want to do those tests mm-hmm. um yeah. maybe some of them would have an inkling that they do have an xy chromosome maybe some of them just don't want to be invaded maybe some of mm-hmm. them feel like their doping testing tests are enough but do they so do the iaaf rules mandate do they have they explained yet how they're actually going to enforce this no or is it currently only enforced for caster many and i know the i know there's another athlete yeah. who came out last week yeah. as well so is it only those two i think they will probably end up doing and i don't know this for sure i would imagine if there is suspicion there will be tests um, but I can oh, only that's a really shady way of, yeah. of I can only testing, imagine there would be um, legal uh, appeals to any such test so if mm. that was the case um, so testing is going to be on basically someone's interpretation or, or opinion or that doping tests are used to mm. to look at and once that there's a red flag on a doping test I would imagine that's probably um, the probably the most efficient way of doing it Um I don't know, I just wish they'd put as much effort into actually catching people who are doping. Wouldn't and that be nice? We might get <laughs> athletics back. Like, It's much better watching Castor Semeny knowing that her advantage is natural. natural. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Rather than, like, honestly, that 10,000 metres in Rio was one of the worst sporting events I've ever yeah, been at. So and depressing. it should have been amazing. She broke the world record. Like, and she, she broke a Chinese yeah. world record. Like, she yeah. broke a really dodgy world record. <laughs> by like 20 seconds or something yeah and she didn't break a sweat no she didn't and in her pre-race or post-race interview she wasn't out of breath she she looked like she just walked out of the changing room like she looked like she'd put that much effort into it and there was a couple of races in Rio where you were getting in I won't name names here or whatever I won't get you sued um but like there was a few races in Rio where you were getting into the elevator to go down to interview athletes and there was people from other countries and asking like do you believe that and you'd be like no obviously not so there was a few races like that but at least when you're watching Castor Semenya you're going you also know that she's so she's tested within Mm an inch of herself so you know that if she was doping jesus they'd find it like yeah, so yeah. it's definitely natural yeah and they're like in a different world in a parallel universe athletics would have embraced her mm. um yeah. uh, in a way that 
you know, unbeatable champions are embraced in other yeah. sports like Tiger Woods in golf or Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps in yeah. swimming. And, and, I, and I get the argument that the, the advantages that, say, Michael Phelps has with his, uh, you know, long limbs and, and hands and feet and stuff, it's not the same. Like the advantage of testosterone is much greater mm-hmm. than any of those advantages or, or height in basketball and things like that. Um, it's just going to be a much bigger marker. Um, but those people were un beatable and the the problem going back to your initial question the problem Mm. that it wasn't a problem that they were unbeatable exactly it was something to be celebrated yeah and the problem that the IAAF have landed upon is that people emerge as unbeatable if they have this 46xy yeah um so it's funny to see how it manifests itself in various sports depending on who the unbeatable person is we've touched on it quite a bit already um but to go to kind of to look at the the ruling um in bad faith i suppose so uh, look to give the iwf the benefit of the doubt and i'm trying very hard (laughs) i can tell really reining it in um but they have tried to say that their ruling is about just about the classification um of competition and that their overall aim is to support women and girls in competition to develop the sport etc but to me it feels like half the problem is that they are seeing their ruling as divorced from what else is going on in in society and the social impact of sport um and the fact that they are ruling they're trying to claim that this ruling is objective that it is scientific bias only um when actually a ruling is taking place in an era when women aren't content that some court or governing body is going to decide what makes a woman a woman. So let's talk a little bit about the wider social context of what the IAAF is is, is trying to do and why it is so disappointing to see athletes like Paula Radcliffe or Lindsay Sharp or Martina Navratilova come yeah. out. And Talia Sullivan. Oh, God. Sorry. My hero mm, has fallen. Um, to, to come out in support of the ruling. Yeah, I think, um, and this is where I was saying I have like come down a notch or two um, in the last week because I've I've really tried to put myself in the position of some of the women who have competed in athletics or do compete in athletics and have been very much in favor of the ruling. Um, when you live in that bubble and everyone in the hierarchy of that bubble is telling you that is an unfair advantage that that woman has that will probably get into you eventually. Like, I think even the best competitor, Sean, is like, nah. I think it's money. Do you think it's all comes yeah. down to jealousy and money? I yeah. think there is. I do, definitely. I, th- I think there's a lot at play there. I do think that there is a natural instinct to protect women's sport. And in some ways, it has, I don't know, uh, knotted itself up again going back to the completion of the trans issue I think it's mm. really hard to separate those two things particularly when you talk about Paula Radcliffe mm. and a couple of the others you mentioned there yeah it, that's why I think it's personally so disappointing to see the stance of people like Martina Naradolova yeah. mm. who are you know queer icons in sports mm-hmm. yeah well I um, think my main issue with people like Martina Naradolova and stuff is that they immediately started the conversation around trans athletes and again i think there are, mm. i think there are very going to be very few 
issues in elite sport around trans athletes. I think there will be more complexities in Mm -hmm. going back to the youth sport thing. I think there will be more um, and not even problems or issues. I think there will just be Mm -hmm. things that need to be ironed out with PE teachers and with coaches in schools and with scholarships in in the US and and various things like that. I think that's where um, society will have to talk properly about those things. I think in elite sport, I think there will be so many things that have gone on in someone's life who is transitioning that like elite sport may not be Be a priority a priority and if it is you know fair play and that person will be amazing Mm. whoever that person ends up being I think with this issue I think with with the Paula Radcliffe's and the Martina Navratilova's they were immediately or with the trans issue they were immediately like calling them cheats like as if people will solely transition to win medals or to take their sport away from them or that they were seeing them even before that it was that that wasn't even you know that nuanced they were saying they're the same as european eastern europe eastern german athletes like they were immediately calling them it's misogyny it's Mm -hmm. transphobia it's the laziest kind of commentary to say you know uh, I mean I saw a couple of Irish journalists during the week um, say oh this is a completely scientific ruling but what if Bruce Jenner tried to transition at the height of his Mm. career and it's uh, to be really really clear what we're talking about when we're talking about Castor Semenya is a woman who was born biological who was born a woman was raised a woman was born a girl was you know competes as a woman um, and conflating intersex and trans issues I mean the trans issue in sport is a really uh, contentious thing mm. and it's something the governing bodies are going to really struggle to um, to deal with, as you say, but this is not it. No, and this this, is, is this really isn't it and and they won't have to deal with it for, like, we're, we are becoming a much more open society, you mm-hmm. know, um, trans people are much more open and not saying that they were closed before, but much more able to be open because of yeah. that society, much yeah. more able to explain how their lives operate, how they work, how um complex and how they they just live through a lot of what they mm-hmm. live through um the idea that um there has been this big argument in sport with the likes of Martina Navratilova the only reason that has happened I think is because of this Castor Semenya ruling they yeah. have wanted people to see Castor Semenya as something with a question mark over her head yeah like this yeah. And, and I was really disappointed to read um, Sonia O'Sullivan in the Irish Times um, after the ruling. So she was very much in favour of the ruling. She would prefer the ruling um, to be widened out further. She she would like it to see. Now, scientifically, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to rely on science, then you you should have to be able to prove that testosterone, yeah. if testosterone is this big marking difference between men and women, you should be able, you should be able to, it and should you should point have to, not just these four events. Exactly. It should point to absolutely everything and you should be able to point to everything for it before it becomes your regulation that you will stand by. So Sonia does want it to be widened out, but in the piece, and I think this is where kind of the mask slipped a little bit, she said, if um, Castor Semenya, flaunts the rules so i presume she meant flout but i'll just give her a dig there about the wrong word she used but she castor's many if she flouts the rules and lines up for the 5000 meters so castor has mm-hmm. um ran a couple of 5000 meters and done well on them and i was like what rules would she be flouting there's mm. like, there is no rule so she was yeah. already setting her up in this article where people were coming and a lot of people were tweeting and being like sonia sullivan is you know an expert in this field she knows more than you do emily glenn and Sinead O'Carroll. like she knows more about athletics than you do 
and she was setting herself up as the expert mm. and then immediately telling readers that the, that there were rules around the 5,000 meters that she would be flouting when there are no rules. I so if she lines up and runs the 5,000 meters, there are no rules that she is breaking. And it's huge. I think, uh, I think it's a lot of scaremongering. Mm. Um, and I think it by conflating the two issues, I think... Yeah, I just, I think it's really dangerous. And I think you do see traditionally, uh, traditionally white women mm. um, and traditionally cisgendered yeah. women um, guarding the gates um, yeah, in a way course. that is incredibly unhelpful. I yeah. think it's really sad. Yeah. Well, it's the power dynamic. It's a, like, you know, once you've, once you've got to where you wanted to be, what what you envisioned was mm-hmm. the the end game. So like someone mm-hmm. like Martina Vratilova, you know, she's... She, she brought tennis pretty far, like, you know, mm-hmm. not far enough. There's still a big fight for equal pay or whatever. But um, if you're getting to a point that you think like, oh, yeah, we're safe now. And then something comes along that you're it's like there's a lot of like othering going on here. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> do you think so? If I mean, look, the the way that this issue and this ruling has been spoken about is not unfamiliar to us. We've you've touched on it. I mean, it was. An awful lot of the same language was used about Venus and Serena Williams. Mm. Um, an awful lot of the kind of the dissection of women's bodies seems to only apply to black women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that we would be having this conversation if we were talking about Caroline rather than Castor? Um, I think because of the impression that is is an unfair natural advantage, um, I think we may have landed on this um sooner or later i don't think there would have been as targeted a measure i think there might have been a conversation that um we are now much more aware of what dsd athletes are we're much more aware of um the advantages of testosterone i think the concept of keeping women's sport protected um is a good one um so I understand that's why I kind of flip flop a little bit like I I do understand that I do understand that we are it has to be in some ways a a protected class even though I hate that phrase like in some ways it does have to be protected in that way um do I think a lot of this is racial though I am yeah I think the targeting of it is um you can't you can't separate the race from it because we have so many examples like you said um the Serena one just being the most obvious um like you know we had tennis coaches up like very recently saying you know well my girl could um look like that if she wanted to but she still wants to look like a woman like that's not that long ago that that was said you know you're like what what do you mean (laughs) what do you mean she could beat Sonia she could beat Serena like if she could beat Serena I'm pretty sure she wouldn't mind putting on a bit of muscle to beat Serena like pretty sure she would (laughs) like cop on would you like Sinead, you'll beat Serena there if you put on a bit of weight. I'll <laughs> eat those dinners, ma'am. No, like you your greens. Yeah. Uh, so, like, there's there's a lot of stuff um, around black women's bodies that I think the science can try and leave behind. And and when you hear someone like um, Ross Tucker or Roger Pilk talk, they're the two people who are on um, Caster's uh, team. They would say it's not targeted, that it's not racial. I think you have to bring elements of that into it when you're talking about why again going back to why this was even seen as a problem in the first place mm-hmm. so what's next do you think we'll see another appeal from Castor or will she step up in, in distance uh, no I think we're going to see an appeal from her I think all the 
um, talk from her camp while they're being quite coy about what they'll do next. I think probably what they're trying to decide is what their best avenue is. Is it um, the E? Is it European or is it Swiss um, legal uh, routes? Um, is it or is it the UN? I think that there is um, quite an easy argument against saying there's a human right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, there's a human right element here i think there is a human there's a more of a medical ethical medical ethics um thing at play because of the do no harm and the fact that this is obviously doing um physical harm if you're medicating and there's obviously the mental harm as well that you touched on shauna um i think there's less of a human right about the human right to participate in sport because you're still you still have that human right to participate there's no human right to be an elite athlete Athlete, you know there's, there's no None of us are, you know, it's kind of the argument that's used if, you know, someone like Israel Folau, you know, he has no right to be an Australian rugby player yeah. if if he continues to say the kinds of things he's saying. So um, I would say they'll stay away from that argument, um, but I think it will be a legal right. Would she do 5,000 metres at the same time? I think she would be probably fairly sure that they'll just change the regulations and oust her out of that. So I would imagine... Yeah. Um, she seems to be coping really well, though. Like, mm. doesn't she? Like that, like, the Doha race. Uh, mm. and that post-race interview was sorry, not the Doha race, else. the Diamond League race. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, she seems to have the support of some of her com- commercial sponsors still, which yeah. is massive. Um, yeah, Nike have put out a really nice um, video piece. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's been doing the rounds on social media, and I think it's funny that the IWAF have missed what Nike have seen. Like Nike aren't in this because they're like you know bastions yeah. of like <laughs> fairness, fairness and social good. But they obviously have seen that this crosses over a lot more into like what you were saying, Emily, into society. Like there was a lot of women who cared nothing about sport who were really annoyed by this. Yeah. And while they might not get some of the and nuances of it or they might not understand the Lindsay Sharp's point of view or whatever Mm -hmm. um it's quite a visceral reaction to it because like it just feels like you're policing our bodies again and go away is their reaction it feels like the IAAF are on so clearly the wrong side of history with Mm. this and they just can't read the room Mm. and for I mean Nike have you know they've come out really strongly about Colin Kaepernick um and now Castro Semenya like for a corporation like Nike, who in athletics have as poor a reputation as they do, mm. you know, with Nike Oregon Project and... Um, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> all, my, all my clothes are Nike. Um, if they wanted to sponsor us, would be fine. Uh, but um, yeah, to, for them to be the good guys in this feels really weird. Yeah. Um, I'd, like, again, going back to if there was evidence that in 25 years time, every single athlete who wins anything in female sport would have higher levels of testosterone than 99% of the female population Mm. I do think and like this might be not your opinion I do think that there would be an issue we would have to look at there Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's should have been the starting point for the IAAF like uh, how much of our sport will be impacted by people who have a natural advantage much greater than the general population of women who we want to compete in this sport they have given a nod to that so the alternatives for castor if she does if she does not want to compete um with 
the hormones present um or sorry if she let me rephrase that if she doesn't want to compete within the uh new rules of the iwf and if she doesn't want to compete with men which is the other alternative that they've given her they have also nodded to this open category mm. um which doesn't currently exist um but by nodding to it it feels like they're saying that actually maybe down the line we'll have to look at this third category yeah i, I just can't see that happening yeah. though either like what what will it mean like what will it mean and again going back to your point Sean, where when does it start does it start when kids are 12 does it start when you're 15 mm-hmm. how do you how do you like splice people up into those yeah. categories and um i think that's like Sonia sullivan has nodded to that a lot like just create a create a category i'm like okay but then there's like i know of at least five different dsd like categories that would be different to each other so do like do they all go into separate categories and um i guess that there is an argument that that could be done but like you're talking about like like separating one percent of the female population so one percent of the one percent and also the iwf have dealt with this in such a ham-fisted way that you don't really have any faith that no, they would like, be able to negotiate this and a lot of it's because they don't care they just want them gone like because mm. they're not they're not what they want there Sinead we could talk about this for yep. all another <laughs> forever <laughs> yeah. um, but I need to thank you so much for making your fair game debut thank you for finally having me <laughs> I know finally uh, yeah it's, it's been really great listen if when people, is that figure skating episode <laughs> the next winter olympics thanks um where if people want to follow along with your writing and your commentary online where's best for them um, to do so so i'm the news editor of the journal.e so you'll find me there mostly banging on about politics and non-sport things and then on twitter at at carl banging on about figure skating and liverpool and other sports things while you're on twitter too don't forget to follow us for news views and opinions on women's sports uh, everything happening on and off the field we're at fair Gamecast. Find me a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on whatever you're listening to us on, be it iTunes, Android, Stitcher or Spotify. That way you'll get the next one delivered directly to you. That's all for this episode and we'll chat to you again in two weeks time.